Hello. Uh, welcome to this episode. You are dancing too? Yes. <laughs> hey, Matt, how are you? I'm good. Um, welcome everyone to this episode of The Sun and the Moon. Um, we have a really special guest. Matt Powers. Uh, it sounds like someone might have a window open of the YouTube stream. Yeah, somebody's got the YouTube stream open. That would be Alex. Nope, nope. You don't have the And Luna, do you have the YouTube stream open? Then you have a headset or something that's plugged in. Or Matt, you, you, I wouldn't expect, you know, there's no way you're going to have it open. No, no. I'm... Yeah. Check. Oh. Okay, like Luna, way. talk. Okay, let's try it again, guys. <laughs> Keep going. All right. We'll just get right into it. Matt, thank you so much for being on the show. I was so excited to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Steven Reisner has said a lot about you, and I saw your, your Instagram, and I was like, you, you grow trees. Oh, thank you so much. I put a lot of love into my plants. Yeah, and then, <laughs> so and then, and then not, not, not just you do a beautiful job of presenting it. Your channel is like, curated at a completely different level than like i mean most people that are like trying really hard are not at your level so it's very beautiful thank you thank you i uh this is my passion this is what i love to do um and i'm always trying to educate myself and educate everyone else i think that this kind of information is really valuable to get out to everyone and i think the more people that have it the more people that are collectively working on it the more that we can all grow as a community and spread quality food and medicine to everybody Hell yeah, amen, sister. Yeah. Um, Matt, I've been following you for years and years. Um, back when you were doing stuff with Elaine Ingham and your podcast with Chris Trump and and um, reading your 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 writing and, and watching your podcast and stuff. And you've introduced me to so many concepts. I'm so excited to talk to you about all this really cool stuff. Um, so I know you have a book that you're working on. Uh, you want to talk about it a little bit? Sure. Yeah. So my life, I, I've been writing books for a while. I was a failed science fiction author, actually, to start off with. And then I, and I, was, a, I was a musician um, and I started writing permaculture books. And then I, I left my day job. I was a full time high school teacher. And when I wrote this book, everything changed, really. So before I was like kind of organizing and, and making clarity uh, in the in the permaculture space and connecting to people doing it now, people who are commercially providing stuff in a regenerative way, you know, you know, fill in the blanket. I mean, permaculture touches everything. And so I was like really kind of helping organize the curriculum and applying like what I knew as a teacher, you know. And then like it started sinking deeper and deeper to me as I started teaching permaculture and the methodologies of, well, what's the principles at work here? The methodologies of what's the cleanest lens that we can see what's most natural here? Um, how can I pull myself out of this situation and like remove my influence? I started doing that more and more. And this, I was like, wait, what, what are the actual cycles for the plant nutrients. And then I'm like in grad school books and they've got like 10 pages and I'm like trying to synopsize the words. And then there's like sometimes like boxes with letters in them connected with arrows. And I'm like, you know, 
I don't think I know this. And so I made pictures and then I did know it. And then it was like this huge thing for everyone else too, because no one had ever done that. And so following those principles in a space that needed more clarity and feedback from nature opened up this whole space for regenerative soil. And, and then this logical progression began and I'm writing the second volume in a trilogy, which is the regenerative soil trilogy. This is the first book. And the microscopy part, I, I really didn't embrace because I got the Lane Ingham AM scope recommended years ago and I was like all in it. Raleigh, um, you know, Raleigh Latham's like a very close friend of mine. It has been like 10 years now, um, almost 10 years now. And so like, and he's done all the Lane Ingham filming, right? For all those courses and all the editing. Uh, and so like, we i've 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 been and also i've been learning from elaine ingham one-on-one we're all friends we're all been in communication and learning but it didn't sink in um the, the am scope the bright field the cheaper microscope was very difficult for me i i should wear glasses too and so like eye things bother me um if i get my eyes overstimulated i get headaches um i hate glasses <laughs> And so like, I want things to be, anyway, I, I, I wanted things to be different for me, I guess. And, and so all these things came into focus for me when I finished that book, I realized that I didn't And then someone showed me the epiphoric microphone. Hey, Matt, I'm sorry to interrupt you, but your microphone just cut out pretty low. We can't really hear you. Did it switch off? There we go. Yep. Yeah. Perfect. Okay. Maybe I'm just like hitting things. Anyway, as a, uh, where, where, where was I? Your microscopy. Right, right. And so I realized I had to get into the microscopy. And then I, and at the same time, I was introduced to LNW Scientific, which is a much higher level than AM Scope or OMAX or anything like that. It's medical grade, it's a, a FDA, um, uh, uh, not preferred. There's a term for it. But anyway, they've been vetted and they're like this upper echelon of micros microscope lens and, and quality of machine. And I started working with them and they have an LED, not a, um, uh, a mercury metal halide lamp based epifluorescence system. And instead of costing $30,000, it, it was um, like just over six with all the tools and all the bits and then it was like 40 percent off they gave me and so i was like okay i can do this you know what i mean like this is possible and then as soon as i started doing i, I wanted to see all the things that i was teaching in regenerative soil and so i mapped out like i i started doing things i started looking at rhizophages i started looking at mycorrhizal like influence on roots and I immediately started getting really good pictures and things that I'd not seen before and asking questions and realized like no one had any answers. And I was like, Hey, you can't identify that, huh? But you're certified. And then, and then other people had like commercial labs and they were like, yeah, Matt, Hey, I got to tell you. So, um, a farmer gave my lab and his lab the same sample. And we both came back with different results. And then we went on Zoom together and did the same arm shake, like timing wise together. And then like different results again. And, and, and they just, and, and, and they were like, what do we do? 
And so I just started chewing on this and then something I don't I feel like incredibly like blessed and to receive things like I was like like Luna, you asked me like on the way into this interview is like, is anything off limits? I don't like do that and partition things because I want things to flow and connect in my brain to all my past knowledge and all like potentially the things I seem like I don't know until I know them. Like I want to be open to all that. So I, I, I'm very open to sharing and like talking about things. And oh my gosh, in the middle of the Kickstarter for the book, I created a new way of viewing roots. And I still have yet to have anyone replicate what I've done. And I finally explained it to a group of people, well, a group of almost four, over 400 people. And I'm waiting for them to start doing it. I'm going to model it this week in the class. But it was like breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough. And it's really because of that book had me asking the right questions and looking in the right directions because it's all inspired by nature. It's all verifiable and provable to everyone individually themselves. And so it scales from micro to macro from, from stuff that feels theoretical and sounds like, well, I'm just going to have to trust you on that one, but you actually can test it and then have it scale up into something pragmatic that you can be like, Oh, well, this is a ferment I did, or this is a, a, a compost tea that I spiked. And you'll see those results. You'll be able to verify it with a microscope. You'll be able to see the result in your plant or the soil or the compost. So that was, that was like really huge for me as an educator and just as, 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 as a citizen scientist, because like, this was like, I don't know, for me, it feels like. Like I finally have something to contribute like beyond just being like a teacher and, and, and like a curator. And like, I take complicated information to make it simple. I taught kids in the six most violent County in North America. Um, I have like a deep, deep teacher love thing. Uh, like I want to like help teachers teach at a higher level and I want to like liberate and empower kids so they can like forge their own paths and have control over their education. That's great. because when you when you do that, people just open up. People have like these cascades of growth and epiphanies, and so, so I, yeah, yeah. And we get out of the way of of ourselves. We get out of the way of 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 like the natural flow of things. And so, I really value that um, deeply. Um, and that's why I'm open to these conversations. And that's what led to that book. And that book has. That book's wild. Uh, I'm really excited. It's with the printer right now. It's the production is starting. Um, people have been very, very patient. I got sick, really sick, and it delayed mm. in a huge way. Um, and I got sick and then injured, and like I had bruises that didn't heal for six months. Oh no! Oh, my God. And doctors would be like, "I don't know what that means," and I was like, "Huh? I don't know either." So I did hyperbaric chamber dives to, to fix it, which is extreme. Yeah. But, but many of us are doing pretty extreme things to help our health, even, in, even those of us who are pretty healthy um, are having weird, challenging things right now. So I just put that out there to, so people think about that. If you've Maybe got some with- human residents. What? He <laughs> <laughs> pops in and out. I, I was just saying maybe it's the Schumann resonance, right? Because the energy coming off the sun, you know, if you're not grounding properly, it does have an effect on our psyches. Maybe. Um, so, hey, Matt, 
Um, I'm so fascinated by your work with DNA sequencing. Um, so I know that um, you, I saw a video of you uh, uh, and I think you, you tested like a compost sample and it came back That's with like a huge percentage of E. coli. Um, which yeah, is all so of it does. And so that mm -hmm. made me start researching E. coli in depth. And then if you get into, so I read everything. I, I read what the enemy writes too. So I study all the GMO people. And so they're like, they're like, okay, this is the universal chassis, the E. coli. And so they are like, oh, you can program it to anything. Whoa. But the flip so what side does that mean is. To program it to anything. What do you mean by that? Well, okay. So this is the reality E. coli is constantly practicing horizontal gene transfer. It okay, is I wanted to bring that up too. They're like little rabbits yeah. conjugating. Yeah. Can, they're not, you, and they're changing DNA. So it's like they're can you expressing horizontal gene transfer real quick to people. Horizontal, horizontal gene transfer. There's, there's three pathways that we know of currently. And one of them is that 20 to 40% of everything ambiently around us, everything in soil, every surface, all that is covered with dead, broken, fragmented DNA. And that's the past. And that's how when you have like bad conditions, suddenly a microbe turns into a pathogen. And so E. coli, there's millions of E. coli. They're all practicing horizontal gene transfer. E. coli is the most common microbe on earth. And so horizontal gene transfer, they're consuming it and expressing. So when we have pathogenic conditions caught, this is Elaine English classic, right? The pathogenic conditions cause those microbes to then flip and express as uh, they become pathogens, but they weren't. And so they're taking those DNA from the environment around them. When the environment signals, that's, that's what's, what's required. They also are practicing conjugation. So they're eating and consuming dead DNA, but they're also, they form microphalluses and it, it's, it's viral and it spreads. Uh, and you can see them doing this. They touch each other and they go, and you can see them, you know, having conjugal visits with each okay. other and they're exchanging DNA that fast. That's, That's how fast they're exchanging DNA. And they have these slots and there's a certain number of slots they have and they're constantly shifting them in response to the environment between themselves and the environment. And then there's also viruses. And in my DNA uh, research, all of them, all the compost have mu virus, M-U virus. And that is a bacterial virus. So it doesn't get us, it gets bacteria. Interesting. And so, so the bacteria is having horizontal gene transfer through the mu viruses. Wow. <clears throat> That's incredible. Right? That is incredible. So, and viruses are, are, are information exchange, right? And when we have an overload of information, then that manifests as like a disease or, a, or we have the virus or something, but we're always having viruses interact with us. We're always, and it signals about our environment. Wow. So that being horizontal gene transfer, E. coli is like saying mammal. It is like saying mammal. And you're like, you know what? You should be worried about, you know, punching the shark versus like the squirrel in the park. Don't worry about the squirrel in the park. The shark just, Give it some distance. You know, like that's the difference between like the like mammals, right? There's a handful of pathogens. Actually, there's way more dangerous mammals than there are uh, E. coli. There's a handful of dangerous E. coli 
and then the rest of them are commensual or non-pathogenic and they're just there. So and and not only that, it goes even further. Where is E. coli in the equation in the cycle? Let's go through the cycle. E. coli is in your gut and in your manure, right? Everyone's like, oh, it's dirty. E. coli! But then you're like, wait, but E. coli is primary to rhizophagy, isn't it? Yes. E. coli is actually an endophyte in all plants. Yes. E. coli is in all soils tested, all compost, because it's already in the plants and it's already in the gut digestion, so it's in the manure, and it's the commensal kind. And when they did all the tests in the past, because it was so expensive, they were looking for one, one E. coli or two E. coli that were pathogenic, known to be associated with like cattle manure, like the O1501, right? And so they're testing for that. And they've got these very narrow focuses and as we're learning more and more in DNA sequencing, uh, we have to be better and cleaner with our tests. We have to be more precise with our tests because when you do a sequencing, you can look at this of the DNA and then you can do another sequence with another prep and another ingredient set and you can do this of the DNA and then you can put them together. But then there's these other pieces that we don't know about yet. So, the DNA, that's, that's why that's the third book. <laughs> so I've been able to use the DNA sequencing to check my work as I've been working okay. with the microscope. And it's provided the most wild and awesome insights. For instance, compost, all the compost, whether it's Johnson Sioux or whether we're talking about um, hot compost from Elaine Ingham star students like uh, Catalyst Biomemments, it's going to have the EM consortium in it. It's going to have cerveza, uh, uh, Saccharomyces cerveza. It's going to have Rhodosodomonas palustris. It's going to have um, Lactobacillus, of course. So it's going to have everything, just in different mm -hmm. proportions. Sure. Sure. So, so, so what are you hoping to to accomplish with this sequence, with all the sequencing that you're doing and determining these profiles, these biological profiles? What what is your end goal with all of this? So that's the thing that everyone asked me as I was plotting this out. And, and the biggest thing that I've learned is that if you want to understand, if you want to grow, if you want to uh, have a holistic understanding, then you need to let nature speak to you in the cleanest, clearest way and to be reflective and observant and holistic. So that's a variety of tests that's looking hard at the limitations of each of those tests. So you have caveats, conditions, and um, like context to, to keep them in frames of reference. And then mapping things out against what the natural cycles are and against what um, plants and fungi and these bacteria all evolve to naturally do and cycle. And in that context, that's the most honest level of teaching and learning because it's not me, it's what's natural. And the complexity, if presented properly, has a, the ability to teach us in it of itself because we're looking at the real thing. Mm -hmm. And so it's like looking at a topographic map versus hiking that mountain, right? Um, we need to marry those things 
um, in order to fully understand that space. Um, so that's what I've been really doing is, 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 is making it so that we have essentially what we've done with permaculture or what are the universal principles at work? And then, I mean, think about this. Elaine Ingham was like, you guys are going to take this stuff and then you're going to burn the agar with a flame to it. And like, that is you know, when you're going to count for the live things. Okay. Uh, you guys don't see the problem here, right? Elaine's, Elaine's common sense of the nineties. Right. And so I was like, well, why are we crushing the root? Why are we drowning the root? Just take the root, put it underneath your, 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 your thing. Make sure it's not going to touch your top of your, 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 your microscope objective, but let's view that thing. And then the below light, what is that about? Silhouettes in the night. I'm not doing that. You're right. Yeah. You can't see it properly. You can't see it at all. So I was like, and this is like a huge reveal. I'll reveal it here. Um, but like, I just revealed this in a huge classroom of people. So I'm sure it will get around. Okay. I just busted out a flashlight and uh -huh. then figured out that it, there's an angle of barifringence related to the Michelle Levy barifringence chart, right? There's an angle. And so it's not like you can just flip on the light from above and have it be like, like my images there. And if you watch the video, it's all flickering. Because my arm is like wiggly because I'm trying to find that angle. Because there's this, and I, I'm planning on building a microscope attachment that people can just flip okay. on and, and dim the lights and remark multiple angles. Do you know Alan Rockefeller, the mic? He's doing black velvet, little, like really, really um, light lights, like uh, dim lighting and the gentle light. I had a roommate who was a photography major uh, at NYU. I went to NYU. Um, and he taught me about light. And so I usually have it dark in here. The lights are out and I do things with light to create a better image. And because of that, I realized all of the people practicing microscopy in the met and like the medical and the university journals, they don't show their work. They have these blurry images. Feel free to go and look at the soil biology. Like, like you'll be like, where's the actual images? I like your chart, but how did you get this? And they won't show their work. Why? Because they're terrible. And they're just guesstimating shooting from the hip and hoping no one checks on their work. And, and, and the reality is, is we can do way better. We can actually see the roots actually look like they're made of chunks of glass. Plants look like tiny little chunks of beautiful green glass. Why? Because how do they let light in? Their tiny little, their cells are, are greenhouses. They let, they let the light in. So it's way more beautiful, way more beautiful than what we're doing. Well, we, well I, I don't do it anymore, but the silhouette thing that everyone's been doing forever. And they're like, well, we can shine this light from above. And then I'm like, no, like, there's an angle. And so it's, it, and it's so simple. It's so cheap. Everyone all over the world can do that today. And you don't have to be crazy. You take your root, you put it on a slide, you put it underneath and you turn on your light dimly. So you have a backlit, right? Right. Yeah. And then you do a dim flashlight from a distance and you get that right. And it's like, it's the colors are natural. Yeah. 
when we blast it from below, it's so much white light that we skew all the colors. And also, I'm anti-eyepiece. So my whole thing is like, I have a 4K monitor and a 4K uh, camera, and I sit here and I can do this for days on end, hours and hours. It's enjoyable. I'm watching a 4K television. And, and you know what I mean? And, and, and not like, like that with a bright, bright light giving me a headache, because that's what happened. I this did. I tried hard. It's just blown my mind right now because I have the same problem and I hate working on the microscope because I hate looking in, blinding myself. And this is just like, boom, like, wow. I mean, people in the comments are saying the same thing. Like you just fried their brains because they're teaching what you're saying. It's like exactly the bright light underneath. You're looking your headache. And this is like, oh, we're supposed to spend hours looking at samples under the microscope like this. Thank you. Super appreciative. Thank you. <laughs> I'm so happy. You gave me chills. Because <laughs> oh, I had headaches and I felt bad because it's like everyone's like, oh, like Elaine is great. And and I'm like, I love Elaine too. I wish I could do the microscope. It just hurts me. <laughs> and so like I suffered like and just like left it in the closet and then felt like a bad, a bad oh, acolyte. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I, so, I did a similar thing. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Alex. I'm just, I'm trying to figure out you're the underlight. So you're just not turning that on. I use it dimly because um, the backlight provides definition. Okay. And so, and sometimes I turn it off completely because I want it completely black. Um, it really depends on what I'm viewing. Um, sometimes I'll, I'll view like the plant surface, like the surface of a leaf. And then like backlight's not very helpful there um, because like, but, but the root, because I mean, you've seen those manual lighting pictures of, of my roots, right? Um, yeah. they, they're just so shocking. And I, and I, I, part of it is that there's just that slight backlight allows that definitions for it to be seen properly. Um, and I, I just think that, I mean, it's so weird. They did the stereo microscopes and then and then they like stop at their magnification and then they do like a floodlight effect. They don't have a sophistication that is so easy to map and do. <laughs> hey, Matt, so you had sent me a message um, a little while back, maybe a couple weeks ago, talking about mm -hmm. endophytes inside of phloem. Um, and just endophytes inside of plant cells and the capacity for them to form bacterial spores inside of plant cells. Um, and that was kind of interesting to me because I've been thinking about, you know, endophytes and, you know, their ability to survive like in harvested plant matter and dry plant matter, you know, plant matter that's no longer growing. Um, one of the, the reasons behind my my questioning of that, that idea is um, how it implements and integrates into like IMO collections um, and using rice and the potential, you know, endophytes that are already existing inside of the plant cell, how, how much of them are alive, what, you know, how much of them can survive like a boiling um, and really harsh conditions. And when we add moisture and add food sources, you know, how much of that, how much of that bacteria inside the cell can really come back to life um, and mimic soil composition inside of a field that the plant matter that you're using was grown in and and the implications that it has on the capacity to come you know compete with indigenous microorganisms in your environment um, i'm not sure if i explained that super clearly 
But um, what do you? I'm think? really curious about this too because, like, mm -hmm. okay, so they talk about how microbes have been shown to go extremely dormant, um, appear to be assisted dead even, and they can reanimate. Right. Um, they say that endospores, uh, these bacterial endospores are, are often um, uh, non-reproductive, right? And so there's a sign of stress, right? But uh, people aren't watching everything. No one can watch all everything in situ. And so there's a lot of like faith links, right? Uh, and we don't, we're not, and like that, that's been a big part of my job is to step back and be like, is that really true? Yeah. Is it true? Yeah. Like there's a lot of claims. I feel like there's a lot of claims just in general, like a lot of things we do are very conceptual and, right. um, and they make sense. And I, you know, love that, that, that people are practicing these things, but a lot of the times I'm like, how do you know that? you know, is that really true? Is it verifiable? Is there science research or the capacity to determine it at all? Um, yeah, and to be able to isolate the mechanism as to how, how because right. then we can, we can know how, when, how much, because if we don't know the active mechanism, again, it's like, it's a little bit like faith, you know, like, you know, faith gardening. And I worry mm -hmm. about that. I love faith. I'm all about that. But we're trying to verify things and like help each other. <laughs> so massively. Yeah, yeah. So so I'm very curious about this. Um, because what I'm seeing when I'm looking at an IMO collection, I've looked at two, is I'm seeing common rice mold with bacteria Mucor teeming inside it. Mucura rhizopus, but something in the in the zygomycota family. Oh, Okay. Like yeah. we know it's in the zygomycota uh, phylum. And so it could be mucor family. It could be, right? But, but until I DNA test that when, and I can do DNA testing of fungi at the level I would like to, uh, and I'm going to actually get that piece of information in two weeks at FungaFest with Alan, um, Mandy, William. All right. So uh, Mandy Quark, Alan Rockefeller. William Padilla Brown, and then the guy, Stephen Russell, Stephen Russell, who's like really a mad scientist. I'm the lowest rung on the ladder in there. So uh, <laughs> so I will be learning from them DNA wise. Uh, I'm in the absorption period or time period for most of the, DM, uh, the, the DNA stuff. But I think what we need to do is set up a way to to cleanly observe what is most natural and then accumulate understanding through that process because i feel like we're at, just at the beginning that's why the idea of the microscopy book came to me that's why it's so open ended in parts of it and that's why it, it connects to a database so that we can because i mean think about this all of us, if we are familiar with the protocols in any regard, if it's seen anyone do it, you've seen someone take a test tube, look at the bottom of it, say, let's tamp down to one ml, took, 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 right? And then they add water, they water it down. Uh-oh, what just happened there? So quick, what just happened there? Let's backtrack a bit. They just took soil or compost, compacted soil, loamy light soil, compost, all of those things and they tamped it down 
to a one ml that doesn't have air pockets. So we don't want air pockets, right? So that's accurate. How much uh, volume of space does loamy light soil in a beautiful structured garden, 10 year, 20 year, unbelievable no-till have? Surf like just think about the volume in that one ml structured light compared to compacted dead dirt. The compacted dead dirt is like, funk, I'm compact now. You're like compacting like the good, like you compact this much area, you know what I mean? In comparison to like that much area. Like if we shrink it down, it's gonna probably be like the difference between the inch all the way around and really well structured versus really compact. So what happens to the math? Woo, just flew out the window. All the math just went out the window. And then you're like, oh, no, no, no. I'm just doing the math for my own site. And every year it gets better. The structure changes every year, meaning your math is outside the window again. So I'm all about this. This is re I really because I care. I care so much about my students. These these people are running farms. These people are feeding feeding their kids, their family, the next generation, the artists of their town that, you know what I mean? Like the people who, who keep, like, like keep people fed, the people who keep people happy. Like, you know what I mean? Like these are the most important people. And, and, and meanwhile, like we, the actual information, the components have always been there. I don't understand on some level. I don't understand how I was, I came along and was like, guys, look at all these pieces. They fit together like this. <gasps> And, and it's been this like huge thing for me. It's been like uh, rockets. My life has been rockets since I, I, I wrote Regenerative Soil because I understood that soil is electrical based. It's redox. It's reductive oxidative and all oxidative stress is bad. So, so in other words, when we're drying our food out, that's oxidative. All oxidative stress is the root of all disease, is the root of all cancer. And when we talk about antioxidants fight cancer, we want the dark purple, the blood orange, the high antioxidants. Why? Because we naturally want to live healthier. So all of it started fitting together and it continues to strengthen and tighten and tighten and tighten. And I get more and more excited because I know this will change lives. Because the thing is, the system we live in right now is designed to make it so none of us can own homes. None of us can have the ability to provide a next generation with with the ability to do what we did in our generation. It's a it's a terrifying situation we're actually in. And so we need to help each other become entrepreneurs, regenerative entrepreneurs, work with soil, mushrooms, cannabis, everything under the sun that's good. And there's plenty of things under the sun that are good. And when we do, we're going to form the local economies that displace all that crap. And we're going to be able, and that's why my book, The Permaculture Student 2, is, is, is free. It's 400 pages, permaculture. Totally, uh, Elaine Ingham helped write the soil section. 45 pages, of incredible stuff. Um, it's over 400 pages long. It's 24 different uh, peer reviewers involved. It's fully cited. It's actually standard-based, so you could teach it in high schools and colleges. That's amazing. So, yeah, and it's on my website, thepermaculturestudent.com, for free. And that's the thing. I feel like all this is a human right. We need to know how to live here. If, 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 if 
to not know how to live here regeneratively is not to know what your purpose was to be here. I strongly feel like, like when we are living regeneratively, when we're giving back, when we're in the cycle of nature and the soil and the compost and the plants and, and the microbes, there's a congruency there that you can't get any other way. I 100% agree. 100% well, agree. You, your plants are so incredible. Your plants testify of that. <laughs> oh, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, thank you. Yeah, we have to try to live symbiotically with with uh, with nature. You know, we have to use the tools that nature provides and and understand them to try to mimic them. Right. Yeah. Yeah, and, 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 and learn reflectively because so much of it, so much of it is there for us to learn, especially plants. I mean, I know that the classic thing when you say nature, they're like, oh yeah, like the lions and the gazelle. And I'm like, whoa, whoa. We like about- had to jump to like one instance. It's like, look around you right now. And they're like, well, there's some birds flying around. Oh, there's a bird drop eating some seeds. And then it's like, yeah, it's rather peaceful, isn't it? You're like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love, you know, and one of the, the best parts about, about regenerating soil and, and regenerative agriculture is that the ripple effect that it has in the ecosystem around it and how it benefits the earth and how it benefits everyone around us, creates nutrient-dense food that heals the body and full of, of uh, organic acids and antioxidants like you would explain. Um, and that's so important, you know, to, to grow food that's rich in these compounds that are healing um, for ourselves and our earth and our community. Um, and all that starts with biology and nutrients and mimicking these systems that nature has developed for us and treating nature with respect and trying to, to heal what's been broken and where it's necessary and to mimic and integrate these concepts, you know, the best that we can and, and the ways that, that are possible to us. And, a lot of the time we, we, we see people, um, and, and myself included, um, building soil, you know, from scratch, right? Um, and that soil is nothing like like the earth's soil, right? Like it, it has some of the similar properties and stuff, but but to get it to a place where this like equilibrium, this this um, this baseline that, that earth soil, that real true native earth soil with thousands of years of decomposition and nutrients and balancing between um, bacteria and protozoa um, and lower and higher fungi and then you know like our grazers and our microarthropods this whole relationship um, you're not you don't get that in your you know the soil that you build or a new peat-based soil or cocoa core based soil um, to mostly you know this is really popular in the cannabis industry and stuff you know these these full systems this full soil food web isn't present um, and I feel it's really key to to mimic what we see to understand what we see in nature through microscopy and other uh, techniques um, to then rebuild those systems right so that we can have a full profile of secondary metabolites we can have um, full profiles of organic acids um, so that that we have food that's really helpful we have medicine we're growing real medicine right um, our what we grow in our plants they're so dependent on our trop- topographical locations um, our light spectrums, our soil composition, um, and the profiles of biology within the soils in our native area, right? And we need to be able to integrate those systems provided by nature, because these are the, the systems that these plants evolved in. And when they're absent, 
they miss that genetic expression that 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 um, the potential genetic expression that they can have, um, and I think that that really reflects into modern day um, health problems and mental health problems as our gut biomes uh, affect our 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 brains in such massive ways. Um, serotonin production and dopamine production, you know, they're all dependent on on these full full profiles of compounds that we need to build our cells. And these cells, you know, this is kind of a universal concept where, you know, all cells kind of re require the same thing for, for the most part, different different of profiles and spectrums of different things. But, you know, plant cells, you know, it's, it's amino acids and they require enzymes and, you know, uh, all, all the full spectrum of macro and micronutrients um, to really function properly and also to have biology present as we are mostly bacteria, right? And plants um, are mostly bacteria also. Um, ranting at this point, but <laughs> um, just to, to nail the point home that it's so important that we integrate nature and the systems of nature into how we cultivate our food, how we cultivate our plants and our plants really reflect it with their vigor, their trigger pressure, their their production of different compounds and the true genetic expression for all plants all around the world, right? And I think that that's really what our goal is as, you know, people who are passionate about biology, passionate about soil, about plants, you know, this is about, to me anyway, it's about, uh, it's about regenerating, you know, it's about undoing what the mistakes that our species have, have done, you know, um, and I find it really important. And so it's, it's I uh, admire that you're spreading all this information, you're doing all this hard, detailed, nitty gritty work um, in different ways and new techniques that, uh, that, that a lot of people aren't getting into. So I think that that's fantastic. And thank you so much for sharing all this information with everybody. Um, Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem, man, no problem. Um, so I have a few other things I wanna talk about. Alex, do you have any questions or anything you wanna talk about? No, I'm just vibing, man. I love everything that you guys are saying. Um, somebody brought up this comment and I think that it's really important. Um, in today's society, we have like this reductionist point of view. A lot of scientists, they reduce down whatever it is that they're really good at and what they hone in on and having like taking a step back and like you guys are saying, being holistic about it and seeing that everything is connected. Everything has an impact on everything else. And so like big E here, it's not just about the food we grow for ourselves, but the food we grow for animals. And I think we forget that life is one big chemistry puzzle. You are what you eat, literally molecules are exchanging with everything. And so for our plants that we're feeding to our animals that we're consuming, the things that we put on our body, like you can be like this organic um, permaculture, regenerative, and then like, you may not be aware you're putting on sunblock or a perfume or a makeup or something that is going to have a detrimental effect to you or the coral reefs. It's like we have this huge impact on the world and yet we are 8 billion strong and it's minds like us coming together, talking about this, reaching out and telling everyone that you can make a difference. And people like you, Matt, teaching people, breaking it down into that easy, simple to understand is what is going to change the world. It's not those scientific papers that are super hard to understand. It is this, these conversations. So thank you. I'm super stoked to be here and talking to you today. <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm so happy to be here. So I was just thinking about what you were saying because Dr. James White um, 
talked about how terpenes in the trichomes are actually created by microbes in their conversations between microbes. And yeah. so we could have specific foliar sprays with specific biology that trigger specific medicines. And this will, like you said, it's going to affect different plants with different soils and different bioregions. Totally. So in other mm -hmm. words, you're going to find like, oh, well, you know, this, 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 this old strain that we can't get to grow anywhere. Blue Dream came back, you know, <laughs> right, right. And, yeah. and, it, yeah. and, and they were able to do it in the specific soil with the specific microbes. And now they were able to rejuvenate the strain. Right. So many people, I, I have friends who talk about this. They want to rejuvenate all these old strains from the 80s and 90s. There's all these problems. There's supposedly like a new virus out there. Like folks um, really want to bring back these things. Um, and, and, and I feel like so much of it is the biology rejuvenating and protecting those things. Mm -hmm. um, and, and we need a place to put the tests results so that we can all see what we're doing. We need a place that is transparent. Uh, I'm doing this for soil, but maybe you guys could do it for, for cannabis in a way that was, so I'm going to put the, so, our soil database, so, like within the community, this, the code open source so that people who are uh, programmers within the community can critique it. But I really want it to be hands. I want to be a participant. You know what I mean? I want to, I want, I want the data. You know what I mean? I want it to work perfectly and be objective and just, I want the data too. I want to compare all of our things. It's going to be fun. So, but we need that for everything. So, and, and it's not just like um, the soil, it's the plant sap analysis, it's the biology, it's the terpenes, it's like, like, as everyone knows now, it's not just the THC, right? It's so many other things that go into this. Uh, and and I, I, I believe that when we get down to that kind of nuance, 20 years ago, people were like, that's just noise. But nowadays, people recognize that we have this people power thing where we can start keeping things simple. But it comes down to it. It's just a spreadsheet, you know, that we're comparing across. The, you know what I mean? We're going to be able to turn that nuance into instead of like noise. It's going to be the signal that guides us to new answers and new insights. And, I, and, and, and not only that, like what I'm doing with the database is a model. And then people are going to be like, hey, well, why don't we do this for cannabis? Why don't we do this for our water? Can you and tell suddenly, me more about the database itself? What data are you collecting? Like for mm, everyone here, I'm not really sure um, exactly. Totally. So, so I, while I was doing all this work, I was like, well, I have a mountain of like pictures and videos and I don't know how to organize it. And so like I have things sort of organized, but it is difficult because you're like, where are my nematodes? Where am I? You need to like be able to cross reference everything. Right. And you need it to be set up in such a way to compare things across time. And I realized the computer wasn't set up for that. And I was like, this is a mess. And, and I was like, I need, I need a database. I need it to like flex. And it's simple. I explained it to uh, so many different people and all the people I explained it to engineer wise goes, huh, that's easy. Like they all like got like bored. The moment I told them, I was like, I'm not asking you to do the next like Twitter, but it's just, it's a thing. And they're like, oh, okay. And they're like, all like say to help me. And then they like, don't do anything. 
So I'm going to have to learn how to do it myself. Um, maybe use some chat GPT to get the code going to like get off the rails, you know, and then people would be like, Matt, you need to fix this. And I'll fix it then. We're doing beta testing until it's right. And then we're going to release it to the public. And then we're going to start accruing data. It's going to be standard tests, extension center, minerals, university kind of tests with pH, organic matter, um, CE, salinity, um, and, and then all the micronutrients and all the problem the problem nutrients, like, you know what I mean? Whether that's salt or boron um, or aluminum, uh, whatever it is, that's a potential toxin in your area. Cause it depends on people's area. Some people are like, we need boron. What are you talking about? You know? And so all those micronutrients and all those potential heavy, heavy metals, all those, like we have all those things out doing that parts per million, you know, it's a number we can track that over time and compare it to things. Right. The the other things that we're going to test are are are, are never been uh, actually aligned to those things. So you take all that information. That's all the standard information, right? Now we're going to compare it to the bionutrient meter of the plant sap. We're going to compare it to DNA testing. We're going to compare it to the microscopy. The reality is, when I talk to a room full of microscopy practitioners, I ask them how many of them test their the the pH of their compost. No one said anything. No one raised a hand. I was like, really? No one's pH tested their compost. I pH tested all the hot compost. It's all pH 8, lockout central. Yeah. pH test your compost, people. You'll be surprised what you're doing. Maybe so add some have- on there and cap it for a week, and then it'll draw down. Wait, right? add some what? What did you say? EM and cap oh, it for uh-huh. a week. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, lactobacillus. Uh, surveys uh, uh, beer yeast um, and rhodocytomatous plasters, and you can get pure cultures of purple non sulfur bacteria now from algae barn. Okay, everyone okay. can get it now. I didn't know it's, that. It, yeah, oh, yeah, the, and they're the best. I started going around vetting all the um, the aquarium sites because the aquarium sites have the pure cultures of purple non sulfur bacteria. Oh, cool. Yeah, and I was. Oh, just real quick, I just want to uh, just tell the audience, uh, purple non-sulfur bacteria is a photosynthetic, or known to be a photosynthetic endophyte that can actually help um, symbiotically with chlorophyll creep, another uh, source of photosynthesis inside of the plant. Um, the endophytes themselves uh, use the sun to create energy for the bacteria also. Um, so it's a really cool tool to implement into your garden. Um, could it'll, it'll help your plant to photosynthesize better. And that's a, a species of bacteria inside of EM1 that um, Matt was talking about, um, but you can also get it from ponds. There's some techniques to culture it from ponds with, um, uh, some people use like egg egg yolks and stuff, but apparently you can get the pure culture from, um, it's called algae barn, is that what you said? Yeah, algae barn, and it stinks, cool. be Very ready. Cool. Be ready oh, for yeah. the smell. Yeah, they say non-sulfur. It's eight, sure nine. So this is why EM, when we're doing EM extensions, we run out of purple non-sulfur bacteria over time because when you culture them, it's pH 8-9 range. Mm-hmm. They're opposite what we do when we do the molasses drawdown to 3.5 pH, right? right? It's the opposite. And it can right. stand it, but it doesn't like it. It doesn't like it, no. 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 So, so yeah, I love all this stuff. And so I was able to get really good pictures because there's, I don't know if you guys noticed, there's no real good pictures on the internet and there's no video. I'm the first person to put video on the internet of Rhodocytomatis Palustris. So, really? yes, it's unbelievable. It looks like, like a tumbling, like flower 
You can find it on my website. It looks like a tumbling red flower. And it's not purple. It's red. Let's see if I can find it. It's there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so um, I, I love this stuff. I love to be able. I love to be able to actually see the things um, that happen. And what's really wild is it feels like science is smash and grab. They're like, oh, okay, I gotta go. I gotta go. And then there's the next thing. They're like, oh, I'm a grad student. Gotta get. Out. And they're just like running from thing to thing, smashing thing. And there's no like putting things together. There's no. Where is it not? It's on YouTube. Wait, I just, I just, oh, hold on. I, I found it. It's, it's on the, YouTube? Okay. I, uh, let me, I, I found it. Can I uh, screen share, Ken? Yeah, just go to uh, present and uh, share your screen. But yeah, so, so I, I want to be able to look at, so I look at fungi and bacteria and all these things down to the frame of reference. And then I look at ratios rather than numeracy and rather than scaling up i do that check that out how beautiful is that yeah amazing wow yep and and you can verify like you can compare these to the one example online but i think it's Car dr carolyn is the one who did it uh up in university of washington she put out like the only images we have of rhodocytomonas plustris on the internet um, it's, she's the, the Wikipedia page image, right? The beautiful red image. And so I, I was able to get those images and it was like, it, it was like Christmas happened that day. Uh, and of course, you know, n I, I, I could like run home and tell my wife and she would have like no idea what I was talking about. Okay. It was good. Okay. Good. Okay. Um, just some dishes, <laughs> right? <laughs> but like, that's the thing is it's like those of us who are in a microscopy, no, not everyone cares about this stuff. So right. thank you for being here. Thank you for being part of this community and this podcast because we, we, we are a community. We care about this stuff. And guess what? If, even if they don't care, their body cares, their health care. Mm -hmm. And so, so when I make food really good for my wife and my boys, I know I'm nourishing and taking care of them. Yeah. And so, so I, 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 really, I really feel like we need to find communities where we feel supported, where we feel the love and connection. And I love, I love what you guys are doing. I'm so excited to be able to talk about this stuff. There's, there's very yeah. few people to talk about this stuff with. It's so true. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> yeah, no, thank you for coming on. It's it's so true. I try to have these conversations with with people in 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 the real world, right? <laughs> people that I know face to face, right? And it's almost impossible. There's no there's no one to talk to in person about these kind of things. Um, unless you go to like a conference, you go to an event, right, where you get like-minded people that come together. Um, so yeah, I definitely value conversations like this. Um, Matt, I had a, a question for you. It's something. It's something that I I think I'm going to start asking um, everybody. Um, okay. So something uh, for me in my journey um, through uh, organic growing, regenerative farming, um, and just kind of studying the soil and biology, bacteria, just everything, right? Um, is that I have had to unlearn and relearn things over and over. <laughs> and I was told one thing about um, specifically, my example is uh, Bukashi, right? Uh, I remember learning, learning one thing about um, uh, uh, bacterial pseudohyphae, uh, actinobacteria pseudohyphae um, from, from Bukashi, which um, I've come to learn um, it's not actinobacteria pseudohyphae. Um, 
and that's just kind of an example for me. I was wondering if you had anything that you learned and were so sure of and spread information about and then come to learn was incorrect um, and and uh, now have to, to re-educate on. Is there something that you once knew that you now know to be incorrect and what is it? What a great question. I love that question. So if you notice, my books have additions on them <laughs> because of this. The first time I wrote The Permaculture Student 2, the first edition, there's three editions out now. The first edition, which I don't think anyone could find anywhere now, I have a quote in there about EM and Bokashi verbatim, like a whole page on it from Elaine. Like, it's somewhere out there. I have a copy of it. I'm not going to read it. Okay. <laughs> okay. It is negative. Uh -huh. And like, it's like, good luck. You're going to die. Like, kind of <laughs> yeah. my vibe. Okay. And, 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 and I put it in there and like, quantum book was like, Matt, we have to talk. We got to talk. We got to fix your book. And I was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, come on, you know, we got to, we got to have both sides. There's a lane, you know? And he was like, Matt, no, no, no. You can't say these things. And I'm like, all right, we'll prove it, you know? And he did. Over and over and over again. And then all the stuff that I thought was like wacky and out there, like early on when Quatamuk was sharing Quatamuk Via, mm -hmm. all of it like proved out to be real. And like, he was like, they're, they're taking the electron and then giving it to the other electron. This is exactly how it sounds. Forgive me. I love that man. <laughs> it, it, he, he is so right. This was like 10, 12 years ago. I met him at the Heirloom Expo nine, 10 years ago. And he, his enthusiasm is through the roof. He sounds like he's just riffing and just talking. He is reading all the science. He understands all the science. And he should, he, he, I, I, I'm sure I appear the same way to a lot of people. Just over enthusiastic, right? Uh, this is why we're good friends. Uh, and so I passed around the idea that EM was dangerous and anaerobes were dangerous and it was and the reality is the soil is facultative anaerobic. The reality is if you made your soil aerobic, you'd be telling that thing to death and oxidizing it and blowing it away because it's so aerobic, it's flying away. It's aero. So I had to like really come to grips with that. Um, and then realizing realizing uh that the diagonal of secession was was only a piece of a bigger picture so elaine ingham teaches you know we go from the desert all the way to the forest and it goes from high ph to goes from like ph 9 all the way to like ph 4 and we're in the old growth forest that's correct but it's actually part of uh, xy and it's EH and pH. And so pH is one leg of a bigger chart. And then suddenly all my students that were like my problem children, like I was like, oh, I'm the problem. <laughs> like I realized, <laughs> I realized like their whole thing where they were like, you know, like your thing's just not working, Matt. I'm just doing my best. And I'm like, you don't understand. Elaine said so, you know, like, like it became to me, I was like, oh my gosh, they're there. They're in Montana, aren't they? And I understood it. And I was like, I understood 
why there's acidic oxidized soils. I understood like all these things became apparent to me once I understood redox and I was like, Oh my gosh. Okay. And so like, I took those videos from that course and like put them into the app. So <laughs> as soon as I filmed them for regenerative soil, I'm like, copy paste, copy paste. And I, cause I, you know, like, what do you do? I give lifetime access to my students because I worry about this thing. I make communities so that I can update my knowledge and give them the new ebook, give them the new edition and be like, Hey guys, check this out. There's more information because if I, if I didn't, I wouldn't be part of science. If I didn't, I wouldn't be a good teacher. And I don't, I don't think I would have the, I don't think I would have like the blessings continue to come my way. Like, I feel like these things come out of the ether and like land in my lap. And I'm like, huh, I wonder if this does that. And then I'm like, dude, dude. And I'm like, <gasps> and, and like, it keeps happening. It keeps happening over and over again. The first time I messed with blue methylene, I, I was able to map out rhizophagy and show it like the first time, like uh, every it's it, it, so I just feel this like momentum to all this stuff. And not only that, I feel like there's this momentum behind all of our movements. I mean, think about how cannabis is. Think about like the momentum behind mushrooms right now. The momentum behind psilocybin's wild. It's like it was awesome to see cannabis come out of the dark, come out. You know what I mean? And 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 then go from medical and now and, but, but there's something different. Like there's a different thing happening in the world today, and I feel like getting back to nature, plugging into those natural sources asking what's most natural, asking all these questions, looking within our hearts, listening more. We arrive at such different spaces and answers. And I just feel like there's a new, there's something new in the air and I'm excited about it. Yeah, that's exciting. Um, so you would, so I just want to back up just a little bit. Okay. Um, <laughs> uh talking about aerobic verse and uh, not maybe not first but aerobic and anaerobic right um and uh you know there was definitely a, a time where anaerobic is is all bad right um right. and uh a lot of information around anaerobic pathogens anaerobic fungal pathogens bacterial pathogens um and anaerobic conditions uh contributing to them and how we want to avoid anaerobic conditions in our compost teas um and just in general um i typically do avoid a lot of uh, anaerobic things unless they're like lactobacillus dominated typically. Because um, what, from what I do understand is that anaerobic conditions, um, in addition to decomposing organic matter um, without enough biology present to decompose that organic matter quickly gives an opportunity for pathogenic um, biology to come in and take hold and can be introduced. Um, but it sounds like you, it sounds like you may have a different opinion on that. Okay, so absolutely, it, it, like we can create pathogenic conditions, right? You know, um, at the same time, all those people saying that didn't do any DNA testing. I mean, I've got books where Elaine in 2002 is like, we'll start DNA testing next year. Never happened, you know? And so she never checked her work, so she kept going. And it's like, we have to be able to... And the thing is, I did the DNA testing and then I was like, is my answer right? Is this real? Did I do this wrong? And I started researching and reality is it's a well-researched endophyte, E. coli. Like it's 
in all the gra it's 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 everywhere and so you like keep finding all like the corroborating ev evidence for this stuff i think it's so key um to test things uh and so i feel like a lot of these things that we've passed around were logical based off of things that people said and spread around i do believe that we can make things anaerobic but does that mean it's the end i don't think that's the end i think we can things can go anaerobic and then cycle through we can then aerate it we can then have purple non sulfur bacteria and em go in there and cap that with a little bit of em so it has some fuel maybe a little bit of biochar dust cap that thing and then like whatever that was it's gonna flip so because it's it's still biology you know what i mean it's still fuel for those for those heavy feeders so so i i feel like if we see things on a cycle paradigm if we look at the cycles of all these microbes and all these nutrients and all these uh energy exchanges because oxygen oxidation all of those things are energy related so when we talk about aerobic anaerobic facultative anaerobic we're talking about different levels of energy and exchanges of energy and so and and and, and, and really when we have things to nest we're having a bottleneck and a dead end of energy right and uh, it stops cycling it's like they run out of sugars dead end right so so having the having the ability to cycle looking at things from a cyclical perspective allows us to see all these microbes in 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 a closer reality closer to reality i feel like so we're actually able to be like oh well if it's anaerobic let's say you have a pond that's anaerobic well you're going to use bokashi balls you're going to use em and you're going to use aeration and you're going to actually it's going to change the entire environment into a pond that's beautiful clean clear well it's the same thing with anything anaerobic we can cycle and clean and clear it and make it into something that works um i need to check that phone call really yeah, I, I really agree with what he's saying with the balance of the cycle because I try to like talk to people about, okay, our gardens or our living soil, all these microorganisms, right? It's kind of like an ecosystem. And when you have like a strong diversity and you allow things to play out and go through its cycle, that things will eventually balance out. And so one example or analogy I give is like, you have like a room full of, like a bunch of bad guys and like a good one good guy comes in and like a bad guy is like i'm gonna rob you and then nobody stops it right nobody because it's all these bad guys but if you like promote this like good positive environment with the resources that are attracting good positive microorganisms um ecosystem and then you know maybe you get some anaerobic you get some bad players in there but you are filled with a diversity of good people and somebody tries to rob that you know like that one one bad guy tries to do that if you have a ton of good diversity hey they're gonna stick up for each other they're going to fight things out it's gonna eventually balance itself out and we have examples of endophytes retasking viruses and pathogens to be beneficial within plants they give them mm -hmm. jobs mm -hmm. so what we think of pathogens is situational most often and then um 
situational according to the resources available that right. whatever you're providing for it so if you're providing like ideal conditions optimal things then you don't have to worry about like you're saying the fusarium coming in and becoming a problem what is the problem that's there that's like a a symptom right and that's kind of that western mentality of treating one symptom instead of the root cause hey let's look let's take a step back let's see what's going on in the bigger picture here and I, I think that's just really important to to ask ourselves if we do encounter a problem, um, where is that coming from? Where is the root cause? Yeah, and often, I mean, the smell that is bad is your nutrients leaving. And so we need to use something like lactic acid bacteria, lactobacillus to turn the, the leaving nutrients into amino acids, right? Most of the time we're talking about ammonia that's gassing off, right? Um, or nitric oxide, right? And so we're losing we're losing the value of that. That the, the like, if your compost has biology in it, it is has nitrates in it. Um, if your compost is dead, it won't have nitrogen. And so if you if you go to the store and test their compost, all the dead compost, no nitrogen. The nitrogen gassed off already. So if you have a pile and it's stinking, it's it's actually losing its value. And so adding biochar, adding all these different things, uh, EM, um, even some rock dust, um, Bokashi, things to really take over the biology, they, they provide the biocontrol. That's what you're talking about with uh, something, the high in lactobacillus. So yeah, no, I, I definitely don't seek out anaerobic ferments like a Michael Phillips, like you just let it sit you know what I mean, for the week or something like that. I don't do that. Um, but I'm always using EM to in different, like the consortium of EM, the, the members of EM in, in different ways and combining them with different microbes. And they're really like my carrier for and guide for a lot of things. I do compost teas, uh, mm -hmm. but because I'm in high pH soils, I'm always going to lean on EM because it's so low pH. It's so acidic. Um, I'm probably going to do more water soluble calcium, more vinegars um, uh, because it's so high in pH. Uh, the hot thermophilic compost, all those are, are going to be, especially initially right after they're done to go through the hot process of the cool, they're going to be like pH, pH nine. They're going to be like very, very high. So that's all nitrates. And so I'm already at pH 8, 7.5. I don't want to be adding that because that pulls me away and puts me more towards lockout. So most people don't understand, most people don't test those things so they don't know those things are possible. Um, so yeah, so so that's that that's why I really like focus on EM, but I do all the all the other things in bits and pieces. Um, especially in mixes. I like making potions. <laughs> me too. I'm a, I'm a big potion maker. Um, so, so speaking of potions, have you ever used uh, this stuff called Hyperdrive? It's an organic um, uh, like surfactant. And so it breaks the surface tension of things. You could use uh, yucca extract too. And I broke the surface tension of biochar dust oh, cool. so that it wouldn't have that like hydrophobic nature. Yeah, puddles and on that. And yeah. then I fed it to EM. Oh, and cool. So I was like, the e I, like I, 
I want to test it. I want to do it again because I want to see if the because the the, the Bioshock just disappeared. So I I think they're embodied in the the actual yeasts and bacteria. And if they're jet black, like with with char, that would be wild. That's what I want to do next. That's very cool. That's a cool idea. Yeah, it you know adding these different little things will definitely um, you know encourage uh, multiplication and growth. And like carbon is so important um, to have for for biology. Um, I also like to add amino acids to things to to affect biological profiles and promote the division of cells. So they have all the little building blocks that they need to make their proteins to make their cells and stuff like mm -hmm. that, as well as calcium. Um, so the aminos and the carbon and the calcium, um, I think, are really interesting building blocks to pay to play with um, when doing different types of, of aerobic or anaerobic fermentation, you know. So when we're doing the the calcium, is that water soluble calcium? Um, no, I usually use gypsum. Um, I so my soil is not um, basic. It's usually around like six five, right? Um, okay. I try not. I try not to. Um, I try not to do anything crazy with with pH, right? Well, yeah, because um, you're there. <laughs> so I try not to do anything crazy with pH, um, and also I'm I'm kind of kind of lazy. <laughs> no, I just I just try to prioritize my time. Um, I've made water soluble calcium, um, uh, and from what I understand, water soluble calcium is a great way to make calcium acetate, um, which is one of the most available forms of calcium for a plant, and so it's a great input to make. Um, I um, I've played around with adding uh, apple cider vinegar to just gypsum right uh to to see if we can get the same effects or gypsum or uh you know calcium uh, carbonate uh you know like lime grit is what you want Oyster to do yeah so that's another yeah so that's another good one and and um even to um to like crab meal and stuff like that so there's i try to do like um outside of the box things based on um conceptual ideas that are being implemented in other areas um so i like to play around with stuff like that there's a whole bunch of things that i don't talk about on like my my Instagram because they're they're experimental, right? And I don't want someone to do something and then do it and then be like, "Luna, I did your thing and it fucked everything up," and then my whole project burned and died and it's all your fault, yeah. <laughs> you know. Um, but uh, I, I try to take these different concepts and kind of run with them in different directions and stuff. Um, so no, I didn't use water soluble calcium. I usually just use gypsum. Um, mm -hmm. But uh, I, I find the, the task of peeling eggshells to be rather tedious. And, uh, I don't, I don't. You inoculate with mycorrhizae, and which mycorrhizae do you inoculate with? I do inoculate with mycorrhizae. So, I mean, I've played around with a whole bunch of different ones, you know, um, different glomus species, right? Um, Introdices and stuff. Uh, I was playing with a dynamicro. Um, uh, what was the one that Build a Soil uses all the time? Um, someone help me. You know, build a soil. Build a soil is my crazy. Uh, anyway, I don't know. They have a they have like a six different species of mycorrhizal inoculant. Um, but since I'm working with specifically cannabis most of the time, you know, I use uh, glomus interdices. Um, the most dominant. Yeah, uh, I do like I do like using mycorrhizae. You know, it's crucial. I try to do as no till as possible. Um, I grow in my bed. Um, I let my I cut at the stock and then I let my stocks rot, right? I let my my root zone completely rot out until I can very easily just pull it out, right? Um, 
And my thinking is, you know, since the mycorrhizae has inoculated the root system already, um, if you leave a lot of those roots there, the new root system can grow in without, you know, it being disturbed and plug right into those little pathways, right into that mycorrhizal network um, that hasn't been damaged by ripping it out when it's fresh, right? You know, you're ripping all the mycorrhizae out with it. Um, you probably have better inoculation the second season doing that. Right. So that's the, because, that's the intention. Right. Because it's like so often... Um, so often we buy spores and we don't know when they sporulate. And so you're like root is going and then it's like the sporulites here and like the roots already over here. But mm -hmm. propagules, which are root fragments that have like mycelium in them that have, you know, they're, they're inoculated. They actually, they, they, they connect and, and uh, express um, immediately. And so, so they're very quick. So that's, that's, that's a brilliant practice. I've been just leaving my root balls in and I started doing like a hopscotch kind of planting so that I just go to the other hopscotch when I plant the next plant so that those root balls, I just never take them out. I cut down as close to the soil surface and then mulch over, cover it, chop and drop, and then plant right next to it. And my, I'm thinking the same thing as you, that it's just like, okay, it's still there, it's feeding, it's connected, and hopefully I'll just like tap right in. And obviously, you know, I'm inoculating right away as soon as that plant early on from a clone, trying to get that AMF on that root system as early and as soon as possible. And I mean, I need to look at it under the microscope with your new technique and look at the roots. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Have you had success yeah. mycorrhizae on root surfaces with a with a compound microscope? Um, uh, the the epifluorescence microscope. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. My trinocular. Um, it's it's just this unit here. That's a nice unit right here. Um, it's a is a filter cube in it. So it shine this. The light shines down at five ten uh, four ninety nanometers, and then the light shining. because um, obviously ambient light here and I recorded here with the 4k and I've been able to document a lot of my different examples of mycorrhizal fungi um, I I've, I've done I mean the most vigorous is uh, and the one that's considered dominant and the model organism for arbuscular mycorrhizal fungi is rhizophagus intraradices the wild thing is nature works like a hockey stick it's like the Pareto distribution argument. Mm, I don't know if it's real or not. I'm not like on top of all those other examples, but the hockey stick thing seems to be true. So when we do the DNA sequence, it goes like E. coli, streptomyces, and then everyone else is under 1%. And then there's like only 25 below 1%. And then below 0.1%, uh, there's a certain number like maybe 50 and then below 0.01% there's like a couple hundred and then it goes like forever for thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands and thousands of different types of microbes and there's like like very small numbers of them and there's so much diversity but the the, the ones that they're dominant in there's a small collection uh, and the same thing with with uh, with, uh, with with bigger um, when a lot of these instances you have you have these one microbe like E. coli that's dominating, 
our muscular mycorrhizal fungi, it's it's um, rhizophagous uh, intraradices or uh, uh, glomus, um, uh, uh, glomus, um, it's what's this other name? Uh, there's two different names. What happened is uh, the, all the glomus is pre-DNA. And then DNA testing happened and they renamed everyone and created a whole new category, uh, rhizophagy, the rhizophagous intraradices and all that. And mm -hmm. so the, uh, and there are glomus species like glomus, uh, glomus masia that are actually separate from that now. Yeah, uh, it's, it's, yeah, I can pull it up. <laughs> it's all right here. Um, but, but that's the thing is it's, um, it's dominant just like, uh, just like, um, like Brady rhizobia is dominant. Yeah. I mean, not Brady rhizobia, uh, Burkholderia is dominant. Um, just like, um, mesorhizobium seems to be dominant. Um, there's like all these like certain microbes that like, always seem to be in the top 20. So that's the wild thing. And then why I felt confident in saying I'll write a third book, you know, on DNA is because the group is pretty small and I've mapped them out mostly. And I, I know who they are and what they do. Um, the weird ones are the ones we don't understand. Like, like the thing is that, we, that, that is hard for people to understand uh, is that like what's good for us humans is not necessarily what's good for plants. What's good for plants you know, it's not necessarily good for us. We may make a healthy plant and then enjoy eating the plant, but people want the plants and us to be the same. And so they're like huffing their compost. And I'm like, anyone who is like immune compromised is going to be like, ah! like they're, like, I worried because the thing is, okay, Aspergillus, really fumigatus, Aspergillus fumigatus is in compost. Salmonella mm -hmm. is in every sample. Every sample I test has salmonella in it, and that's at the end of like at one percent. Uh, yep. So, or uh, so, like the thing is, like, people are like, like, you remember the video where Elaine licked her fingers and was like, and you can lick your fingers, it's so clean. No, 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 don't do that, and don't huff it. I mean, I, I watched a video with someone who I know and love going, and I'm like, oh. Cause it's like, you can, I know, I know people whose dads have died from soil microbes that, um, they got and encountered. So people, people putting their arms in compost piles and getting massive staph infections. Yeah. 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 And so that, and that's the other thing is it's like certain parts of our world, you don't walk around barefoot cause you get hookworm. You know what I mean? Right. There's the things that like touch your skin and go in. And mm -hmm. so there's this, there's this faith thing that I, I, I love faith, but, but I, but I want us to be very careful because so many of us are immune compromised. I go through time periods when I have a flare up for my Crohn's and I am vulnerable, terribly vulnerable. Um, that's essentially what happened. I had like a storm of things happen and then I crashed the ATV and bruised my hip and then I couldn't heal. Um, but anyway, <laughs> tangent. So, oh, it's all, all good. Love the tangents. Um, so earlier in our conversation, we were talking about um, specific consortiums, specific profiles mm -hmm. of biology and how um, the terpene um, inside the trichome head um, is actually produced by biology. Um, but we also were talking about how 
huge portions of the biological profile in soil are E. coli. And then there's hundreds or thousands of very, very small percentages of a whole bunch of different um, uh, parts of diversity, but different, different species of bacteria. Um, how, you know, and then we see in our like bottled inoculants, you know, our bacillus and our pseudomonas and, and, and so on, how much of this very small portion, um, how, much, how, do, how much does it really contribute? Um, what do you believe about how much it really contributes? Because personally, I try to, uh, my practice is to maximize diversity um, with different profiles of polysaccharides, polyphenols, organic acids, amino acids, enzymes, provide every little piece to the soil system um, to try to maximize this diversity. Because from what I understand, you know, diversity of microorganisms contribute to um, terpene production as well as secondary metabolites. But if we have a huge portion of our soil being E. coli, and then these tiny, tiny amounts of all this different biology, how much can it really contribute? And how much can a specific species really contribute to a unique expression of terpene or a unique uh, sulfur compound or thiol or, or ester, or, you know, like, like, what is your, what is your thought on that? Yeah, so there's definitely tipping points on expression, right? And so this is one of the things that I brought up initially, and like, it was crickets, I was like, okay, so what's like the point of efficacy for like, how much we add of that microbe, and everyone's like, what? I'm like, well, how much of the microbe do we need to have the plant express that thing? And everyone's like, I don't know, dude. <laughs> like, 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 no one knows. Yeah, no one and knows. So, like, I've been able to figure out a few different things. Number one, okay. endophytic, uh, uh, endomycorrhizal fungi is less than fifty percent inoculation of the root, and it's very visual with them. It's like that's coating, right? Um, clotting. And then the uh, our buscular mycorrhizal fungi you can't see with bright field, can't see with the naked eye. Um, that 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 is inside and infusing. We see that with the epifluorescence. Um, th that's fifty percent to a hundred percent, and that took a long time to figure out. Like I had to find, like I found like three studies that demonstrated this, but. That's all there is. And so what we need to do is we need to ask these questions, but then we need to look at the plants that are succeeding and map out what they are like and have it speak to us. It's the same pattern. I'm still doing the same thing. <laughs> it's like, what is nature doing? What is it telling us? How can I put myself in the position to hear and listen to, to what I'm being told? Because is, I, I got asked on a podcast, a cannabis podcast, they're like, how are we going to like, out what's best for cannabis da, 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 da. and i was like well we need to first look at what the best plants are and find out why and look at them biologically look at them at all the different holistic tests we can do map that out and compare it to everything else look at the worst one compared to that and only then will the answers come to us rather than we try to like force our way in there and force things into like it doesn't work that way. Nature doesn't work that way. So um, when I think about, you know, all of these things, you're like, oh, well, if E. coli is all, there's so much E. coli. Well, there's so much E. coli because it's primary. It's the primary mechanism of feedback loop between all these different things. So the real question is how much of these microbes are straight eaten up, straight up, like first thing they're just eaten in rhizophagy. 
there's another thing I taught, you know, that like plants have control. Plants are completely passive. Um, only when they have a conversation started with them can they tailor things. Their exudates are just excretions. They don't like selectively cakes and cookies out. That's all not real. They really? reabsorb 90%. They reabsorb 90% of their exudation. So they put it out and they take it back in. Just but like everything the, in life, there's waves. Aren't the, the, the amino acids and the carbohydrates and the enzymes going out creating covalent bonding and the nutrients surrounding the root system in the exudation? Exudation is a shotgun blast and a sec, it's excretion and secretion. They can't help it. That's why when they're sick, they call in the bad microbes and they release, they, they have nitrates that they get sucked out of them because they can't form those and they release simple sugars that attract the bad the pathogens and the bad microbes. So they put out a shotgun blast and then when they are signaled, when an infection root comes in, uh, infection hair comes in or other trigger and that immunologically triggers the plants, this is why microbes are, are vital for triggering the immunological system. But if you check out the book, uh, this incredible book, second edition Rhizosphere, um, it's a collection of uh, all these different studies and all these, it, so many thousands and thousands and thousands of studies went into this. They, uh, their opening is kind of sad though. They're like, we had high hopes when we were young, but now we've been humbled by the roots. And they're like, they like are so humble by like the fact that they're like, wow, well, 90% of the exudation gets reabsorbed. And, and, but, but, but how else would the rhizophagy work? Right? The microbes go into the tip of the root hair. So there's some slurping going on, right? There has mm -hmm. to be some intake for things right. to go in. Oh so, yeah, through diffusion. Right. And so they're at the, at the, at the root tip of the meristem cells, they're taking in all these microbes. The E. coli is an endophyte. So all the nitrogen they're carrying suddenly gets added to the plant inside. They have to fix nitrogen or die. So everything the microbes are carrying that get killed, the plant has. So compost tea, the actual reason to do compost tea is rhizophagy. So the, these, these, these microbes go in through the meristem cell. Um, and we have video, we have, we, there's plenty of documentation of this. this is amazing stuff. Dr. James F. White. Um, they bombard it with superoxide, oxide again, right? Oxygen. And they remove the outer cell walls of these plants that become protoplasms. And then they're either destroyed or they regrow their cell walls as they form the root hairs. And root hairs do not form unless rhizophagy is going on. So in other words, if we have sterile dead soil, there's nowhere plants can form root hairs. Perfect. And, and Matt, I hate to do this, but I know one of our hosts has a hard deadline and we're, we're going to have to have you back on because we haven't even really got deep into redox and, and I really want to hear your, your stuff on redox. But uh, guys, well, thank Dr. You Dr. Olivier Husson is the redox guy. I learned from him. You guys can learn from him, hey. too. Cool. <laughs> but I'll share next thank, time. Thank you so okay. much, Matt. This was amazing. Yeah, this is really great. I've learned a lot from you in just a short amount of time, and I can't wait to get your book. I'm I haven't read it yet, and I'm going on and I'm going to order it right now. So thank you. Awesome. Thank <laughs> you.
And everyone else listening, you guys, if you don't have it, support him, order the book. Let's, you know, we're talking about community here and what we can do for each other. And that's what we can do. We can um, support one another, buy each other's products and, um, you know, share the information that's held within it. We are the mycelium. We're reaching out. We're that mushroom, that collective consciousness. So let's spread the love, man. Thank you. Do do we have time for like uh, chat questions? Um, actually, everybody was so focused on what Matt was saying and what you ladies were saying that they didn't put any questions in. Okay. <laughs> I, I mean, like, I was watching and it's like, like everybody's having such a wonderful time in listening uh, to all the gold bars dropping. You know, it was like people's minds were so blowing. And that's what Matt brings to the table all the time. Thank you. Thank you so much. Okay, guys, I know Matt's at Fungi Fest here, I think, next month. Um, Alexa, you, when's your um, thing with Chris Trump? Next week or in two weeks? August 5th. August, August 5th. 5th. Okay. Yep. Give yes. him a big hug for me. I will. And I think, are you going to be at Myceliate this year? I'll be at Myceliate, MycoFest, and Southwest Fungi Fest. So I'm everywhere. Okay. Cool. Well, I'll see you at Myceliate. Yeah, I'm okay, sweet. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, guys, with that, I'm going to end the broadcast. So we'll see you next time. All right. Have a great